TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. And welcome to Overnight America. Yes, last show of the week. We got a big one planned for you. But to start the show, I was going through the KMOX archives, and I thought since spring training is around the corner, and KMOX will be broadcasting 18 spring training games. Mike Shannon, John Rooney, Ricky Horton, good old Klaibs, all of them. You're going to be able to catch them for Cardinals baseball this year. And this will be Mike Shannon's last year. So the start of spring training is this Sunday against the Nationals. And you'll be able to hear it here on KMOX about 1155 right before noon. And won't it feel nice to have baseball back on the radio? And considering this is my last show of the week before we kick off spring training, I feel it would be appropriate to play a little baseball montage back from the KMOX archives. I think we can just enjoy it together, can't we? These are three promos for KMOX Radio. The first one is for Cardinal Baseball tonight, starting three, two, one. Hi, everyone. I'm Jack Buck. I'm Mike Shannon. And Red Rush. Cardinal Baseball on KMOX Radio. There's a sadness that you feel in September of the year when your baseball team is out of the race and there's nothing left to cheer. The weather doesn't help. It's chilly and it's raining. And you let go of the dreams you dreamed when your team was in spring training. The stands are almost empty. There's no reason to come around. And the stadium seems hollow, 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 an echo punctuates each sound. Sound, sound. You can hear the umpire call the pitchers. Hear the coach when he claps his hands. There is no rhythmic stomping. No wave sweeps through the stands. It's strange how cruel the game can be, despite the love you give it. You talk baseball every day. You nurture it. You live it. They're playing out the schedule, and no one seems to care. But a baseball fan's life will begin anew the next time spring is in the air. Cardinal, 
we can do it. Well, we're ready for the Cardinal theme song, which you've heard during this first week of baseball here at Bush Stadium. The fans are in the hand-clapping mood today with a little chill in the air. The lyrics and the tune of We Can Do It. Cardinals, this is our year. Oh, so good. Oh, man. Tell me that doesn't just get you excited for a little bit of Cardinals baseball on KMOX. So if you wanted to check the schedule out, KMOX.com. If you go to Cardinals.com slash radio, they got it on there, too. But all kinds of great opportunities for you to hear Cardinals baseball on the radio. And won't it feel great? Who said that? Tony the Tiger? I'm pretty sure he was talking about baseball when he said, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> And then in parentheses, Cardinals baseball. You see, you don't ever see it printed anywhere. That's how you don't really know that little fun fact. <laughs> if you want to call it that. Margaret Coker is the author of a book called The Spy Master of Baghdad, A True Story of Bravery, Family, and Patriotism in the Battle Against ISIS. She's our first guest coming up next after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. <laughs> Joining us now is the author of a book called The Spy Master of Baghdad, Margaret Coker. Thank you for coming on to KMOX. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. A true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. I love true stories. Tell me your connection to this one. How did you come about writing a book? Well, I grew up in a military family um, and spent a whole lot of time in my childhood explaining the places where I've been and seen to my to my friends and family, and that's kind of the reason why I decided to go into journalism, telling telling good stories about um, different places. And I I didn't set out to be a war correspondent; just kind of fell into it in part because uh, the 9/11 attacks changed the course of so many of our lives, and my newspaper at the time sent me to the Middle East. So. I was in Iraq since 2003, I mean, off and on, but covering mostly the, the Middle East and, and terrorism issues since then. And, you know, I've, went, I've, I've sort of witnessed and, and um, written about lots of the, the arcs of, um, of suffering and triumph inside Iraq since that time, and really enjoyed reading lots of the books that have come out, you know, written by our generals, our servicemen and women who served and, and made it back alive. But there's been a big hole missing, and, and that big hole in, in this, uh, the history of the war on terror is putting Iraqis central, um, central to that narrative. And, you know, there are people there who suit up every day in defense of their nation and have been really close partners with the Americans over the course of the last 15 years. And so when I went back full time um, as the New York Times bureau chief, I had a chance to tell some of their stories. Um, one of them is the um, the spy master of, of my book. He's been um, he's been in charge of an elite spy unit that has been one of the closest U.S. counterterrorism partners in the Middle East since the mid 2000s. And unlike other you know established agencies that we all know of, like the Mossad and MI6, you know the Falcons is the name of this group. 
they've stayed under the radar. You know, they've worked well because in the world of intelligence and espionage, you have to stay in the shadows. But because um, they had one of the most amazing um, clandestine operations in um, in this century, the 21st century, they were able to put one of their men behind enemy lines, um, undercover inside the Islamic State. Um, and so for 17 months, he was able to send really detailed real-time intelligence about the terrorist organization. He was a secret weapon in this war. And the spy master um, wanted the world to know about this act of bravery and the sacrifice that he and his men made um, to keep us all safe. When you see and hear these stories, you can see them firsthand and you talk to the people that were involved. Coming back to now 2021, I think a lot of times we look back at how the United States reacted after 9-11. And now today, a lot of people are regretful what we did in Iraq during that time, the amount of money, the amount of time, how we decided to handle it. And at the same time, you start to tell a story about how the Iraqis were getting together and fighting ISIS on their own. And we had this common goal of trying to defeat terrorism in the region. So with a little bit of um, looking back at it, do you think our time has been well spent? Or do you think that there's um, a reason to be regretful in how we decided to handle that? Yeah, it's a very complicated question. I mean, there isn't, I'm not sure that there is a, a yes or no answer to that, mm-hmm. because in some cases, it was a disaster. I mean, there's just no way around it. You know, we, um, as Americans, um, our government lied to us, and we went to war, and it's been very costly in terms of American lives and American taxpayer money, but of course, in terms of Iraqis' lives and, and, uh, and you know, the course of their future. But Instead of going into a polemic about U.S. foreign policy, what I really wanted to do in my book was sort of mark out this history in terms of real-life people and how it has affected them. You know, two of my main characters were um, this undercover officer and his um, his handler, who happens to be his actual uh, brother. And so, you know, learning about their family dynamics and the way in which the the whole world basically opened up to to them um, after the Americans invaded and toppled Saddam. You know, they came from the wrong side of the tracks. You know, really bad neighborhood or considered a bad neighborhood in Baghdad, and they were the wrong um, they were the wrong religion had the wrong religious affiliation under Saddam. But when he was gone, they were able to really you know pursue their dreams, and and their family had lots of opportunities. Um, it doesn't come without cost. Um, you know, and the other character, main character of my book, who is the villain, you know, it's a, she's a woman and she is sort of terrifying in, in her terrorist skill set. But, you know, on paper, she had everything going for her. And um, through the arc of, of the American invasion and then the American withdrawal, she also sort of lost it all. And she um, went off the deep end into this rabbit hole of online extremism. And instead of being able to um, make a happy life for herself in the new Iraq, she turned to terrorism. So all these, all of our actions, of course, have consequences abroad. And um, for so many Iraqis, some some would tell you that um, that they don't, you know, they don't regret that Saddam's gone, um, but they do they do still blame the U.S. for, for um, years of bloodshed as that happened as a result of, of the invasion. Mm. The Spy Master of Baghdad is the name of the book, which people can look up from Margaret Coker, um, joining us here on Overnight America. In the name of this special group of people, the Falcons, is there a special meaning for Falcons in Iraq, or is there a reason for that name that you know of? Yeah, so, you know, throughout um, throughout history, Iraqis have been known in the Arab-speaking world as incredible 
uh, incredible literary talents and incredible incredible readers. And falcons, as as a bird, you know, in um, out in the deserts in the tribes, falcons are used as birds of prey and and hunt and hunting. Um, they don't use dogs. They they use these amazing birds. And so these birds are known in poetry and you know in sort of ancient um, Arabic stories as you know these magnificent noble creatures that have a prey instinct and are cunning. And so all of these attributes kind of uh, have informed um, you know these the, this elite spy unit in terms of, of taking this name. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I, I, I've tried my best to do their stories justice. You know, they have, um, they have a chance to um, come out of the shadows and have the world learn about some of their, their um, very, um, you know, extraordinary tales of daring do. But, you know, one thing as a journalist that, that we have to always be careful of is protecting our sources. And so I've tried to put in as much detail as possible without compromising um, their safety. You know, many of their agents are still in the field doing still, you know, incredibly brave work. And and so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the cunning and, and uh, as they've tracked um, incredibly um, dangerous people and, and helped keep their nation and our nation safe as a result. Um, um, I hope everyone likes it. <laughs> I was wondering, you mentioned sources there. So is gathering sources in a foreign country like that the same as you would here in the United States? Because I think about here, if it's an anonymous source or someone that doesn't want to be identified, you know, you're able to background check, fact check, and try to make sure you can corroborate uh, a little bit. But when you're in a foreign country, it seems like that would be a little bit more difficult. And it also seems like uh, there would be more difficulty with accountability if the source was coming to you with false information. Well, you do you definitely. Um, it takes it takes a lot of moxie to be able to um, to fact check. That's for sure, and that's why it <laughs> took me so long to research this book. You know, of course, um, you know soldiers um, and spies, just like fishermen, they like to tell tall tales. And so, to make sure that you were able to corroborate the information was very important to me. Uh, you know, I have um, deep sympathy and admiration for these individuals. I spent much, a lot of time with um, this band of brothers known as the Falcons. And, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different ways to, to corroborate their information. Um, you know, there's intelligence files that the Iraqis have kept all these years. There are other um, intelligence officers, uh, you know, from other countries that you can use to, to um, fact check information. And, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling throughout Iraq, you know, going to the places where, um, where their operations took place in order to, you know, verify is, is the farmhouse where they caught um, a major suspect, terrorism suspect, is it actually there where they told me it was? You know, is it actually 50 miles away from, from this town or that town? And, you know, just like when you're building sources here in America, you realize that when your sources get the small things right, you can basically trust them with the large things as well. But um, being able to double-check was took, made, made this as a research project, um, you know, a, a really time-consuming um, event. But... Um, but yeah, there's a, there's information that I didn't put in because I, I wanted to keep my sources safe there. Um, and there's information that, that I couldn't corroborate, which, so that got, got left on the cutting room floor. I wonder to the level of safety in Iraq, it just seems it's very volatile as in one day it seems okay. The next day, not so much. It seems there's always this constant threat of uh, terrorism. So is that the same feel you get when you talk to the people that live there? 
You know, one of the things that is so extraordinary about the Falcons is that they have managed to crack the nut of safety. You know, for all of the, um, you know, our perceptions, I think, for many Americans um, and for definitely, you know, servicemen and women who were there in the mid and late 2000s, you know, it was it was a nightmare to be in Iraq. There were multiple terrorist attacks a day. You know, Bad was known as the capital of the world. People didn't know. I mean, normal Iraqis didn't know whether they left their homes in the morning to go to work or send their kids off to school, whether they would come home alive that night. And so it was, te- it was a terrifying place. And, you know, one of the things that got me started, um, you know, on the nugget of, of this story that I originally wrote um, when I was working for the New York Times and now that's become this book, when I went back to Baghdad in 2017, you know, there was a full-fledged war going on in the north part of the country. The Islamic State had taken over one-third of the territory of Iraq and controlled you know, major cities and towns in Iraq. And so the armies, uh, the Iraqi army and U.S. coalition forces, they were all trying to push uh, the Islamic State back out of that land. But in Baghdad, in the capital, which is where 20% of the nation lives, it was peaceful. And there was like a renaissance going on. There were nightclubs that were open and families were out in the streets at night. Kids were eating ice cream and playing soccer. And it's like, wow, what is this? Like, who has been able to make the capital safe? And so that was the original question, journalistic question I had that led me in this long roundabout mm-hmm. investigative journey to the doors of spy master Abu Ali al-Basri when he told me about um, the reason why, why the country felt safe and had turned a corner. And that was largely because they managed to uh, insert one of their officers as an undercover spy inside the Islamic State ranks. You know, he spent 17 months behind enemy lines um, posing as a, as a fundamentalist, Islamic jihadi. And by, um, by gaining the trust of the Islamic State, he was able to foil the attacks that were planned against the capital. And so saved thousands of lives and, and made life normal again for some Iraqis. Wow. The spy master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism, the battle against ISIS, and Margaret Coker joining us here on Overnight America. A real fascinating story from someone on the ground talking and telling the stories of the people of Iraq during a very strange time in the history of its country, indeed. We'll continue with Margaret right after the break on KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinal's Open Line. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Barn and Wilkie Windows. On your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. 
She worked as a journalist overseas in Baghdad and other areas. Margaret Coker wrote the book The Spy Master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. We continue our conversation with her now. I'm also wondering, too, when you talk about family and everything that uh, goes along with it, radicalization, it seems like sometimes some members of the family are more susceptible to that and may go that way. And you actually decide to tell the story of a female university student that got a lot of uh, nationwide attention because of that. And But you decide to tell some of these stories, and some of them may be looked at as, you know, why would you tell the story in the way that you tell it? And is that the intention? When someone reads the book, they get to a different perspective, or you just think it's important to document some of these? Well, it's definitely important to to document things because, um, you know, there's so far um, history about Iraq has been written by people from the outside and, and, you know, the Iraqis that I've gotten very close to and gained their trust. um, And that includes the heroes and the villains, both, you know, they don't have a chance to, to, um, to tell their stories for good or for bad. And, um, you know, there's, there's not, there's not black and white in Iraq. You know, there's, um, you know, it's not, it's a hard country to, to just, um, oversimplify. Well, I guess it's easy to oversimplify, but the fact is that, you know, villains don't, don't start off as villains normally, and heroes generally don't start off as heroes. And, and I wanted to, you know, bring those aspects of, of these characters across to, to readers as well. You know, and I, I try to, I try to write a book whereby people who don't, you know, watch the Middle East or, you know, couldn't, um, you know, couldn't care less about Iraq. You know, these are, these are just tales of underdogs doing amazing things, you know, and unlikely heroes. And, um, a, you know, for the villains, sort of a cautionary tale about how someone who on paper seems to have, um, you know, all that life has to offer. Um, it's an it's um, the world was uh, her oyster, this this villain who turns into an ISIS bomb maker. And um, for lots of different reasons, um, her life soured and she became a radical. And I think that when you know we look at America right now and our law enforcement agencies are talking about domestic terror threats and we look at our friends and our neighbors and, you know, this this threat of extremism here, it, there might be some cautionary tales for Americans to see that, you know, people who should, you know, who look normal from the outside um, uh, can, can fall prey to extremists, especially online. You know, some Middle East countries now getting together, signing pacts, accords to try to bring peace to that region, or at least some understanding. It seems to be that there is a common pointing of the finger to Iran that's going on right now. That's probably something you never thought you would see because of the history, and at least as long as I can remember, it's been very difficult to get any country in the Middle East on the same page about anything. But it seems to be there's some headways going on there. Do you see some encouragement that that region may be turning a corner? Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always um, people who who are fighting for peace, and, and you know, generally, um, their voices are um, are drowned out by by the violence and the instability there. You know, Iraq um, is a place that you know in the region, it you know, and even in the West, we know it as as a cradle of civilization. You know, there are Old Testament stories that take place in modern day Iraq. You know, the the Iraqi people are are a proud nation with 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 a long history behind them, and they um, border Iran. So if we there's a real um, I think there's a real national security priority to make sure that Iraq stabilizes and, and develops. Um, and there's so many Iraqis who, who feel like the U.S. is their natural partner. And, you know, together, U.S. and Iraq could, could definitely, you know, be a force for good in the region, especially when it comes to um, overall relationships with Iran. Mm. 
So overall, when someone's interested in this type of uh, book, The Spy Master of Baghdad, what are you hoping that people get out of it by the time they read your stories, the things that you've been able to document, your experiences over the past decade? Well, I personally, I love Cold War spy novels, right? I, I like a good thriller, and um, I hope that um, people will read this book just like that. And then despite themselves, maybe learn a little bit about, about Iraq. But the fact is that even if these characters have names that might be hard to pronounce, and maybe, you know, if readers you know, never get to taste Iraqi food or, or go to Iraq, um, they'll be left with the, um, these great tales of, of bravery. You know, again, I grew up in this military family, and I have a great appreciation for military history, especially, you know, from World War II and the Cold War. You know, we know the names of, of all of our allies um, back in those days, right? We know the names of individual uh, French resistance fighters and, you know, the kind of bravery that people, um, normal people had when they stood up to Nazis or stood up to the Soviets. And the war on terror isn't over. Um, that, and maybe that's why we don't know the names of our partners in Iraq who have been fighting alongside with us in order to, um, to help keep their nation and our nation safe. And I hope that Spymaster, in some ways, you know, is a corrective to the histories that have already been written. And, and you know, people will remember that, um, that Iraqis aren't bad guys. There's a lots of good guys there who, again, sort of suit up every day um, and try and make the nation a better place. Do you actually write about the food of Iraq inside of your book? You know, I, I talk about some of the meals, yes. <laughs> I mean, I had the privilege to go, uh, you know, to get to, to really be able to draw out these characters in depth. I spent a lot of time with their families, you know, in their living rooms, in their kitchens, watching their mothers and, and their wives cook. And, and yeah, it's, it's, um, it was a real honor, uh, you know, that people trusted me with their stories. The really interesting thing about, you know, being um, a foreign correspondent, being an American in, in that nation is, you know, understanding that um, they're incredibly generous, they're incredibly hospitable, and uh, they, they treated me like a sister, they treated me uh, like a daughter, and I'll be ever grateful for, um, for that trust and, and, and that generosity they've shown me. I would be curious, too. You're right. It's, it's great that they gave you that nice open-door mentality. I wondered if being an American journalist, there'd be a certain prestige to it. Oh, it's an American. They got a certain feeling towards Americans. Or if they would be more standoffish, a little reserved, you know, just, uh, what are you doing here? Are you, what are you trying to, you know, a little bit trying to understand why you're coming and talking to them. Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, for the spy master himself, his, his name is Abu Ali al-Basri. You know, he, he decided to trust me and had nothing to do with my, what passport um, I was holding. But, you know, you really, I, I mean, I'd like to say that, that um, there's some individual skill that I, I bring to the table. You know, I grew up in the South, and, you know, I definitely have a um, kill-them-with-kindness kind of mentality when it comes to journalism. You know, treat people with respect. They have absolutely no obligation to talk to you. And, and when you show them that um, you're willing to listen, generally people will, um, will tell you some stories. Um, and I like stories. Um, I also, I have to say, you know, I, I, I definitely um, don't subscribe to the fact of, of being a stone-cold observer when you're in someone's living room and they are mourning the death of a son and they start to cry 
I mean, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to cry along with you because I see that human emotion and I connect with you on a very human level. Again, it doesn't matter at that point what your nationality is. You know, we can all, um, we can all feel um, sympathy and, and empathy for, for people in that situation. So those very basic human connections, I think, help um, as a journalist, no matter whether you're doing it in someone else's country or, or here in America. Um, journalists get a bad name and, and you know, and, and for reason. You know, you go storming into um, uh, someone's front door and demand answers from them. Um, you know, strangers, rude strangers are not going to get very far very fast. Mm-hmm. And so I try to take another approach with my journalism. Oh, that's good. So if people wanted to find your book or maybe learn a little bit more about you, what's a good place for them to look? Well, I've got um, my author website is up online. This is my first book. So um, I'm, you can find more about me at margaretcoker.com or thespymasterofbaghdad.com. And my book's for sale across the U.S. in, in all bookstores, I think, Barnes & Noble, the big ones, um, and indie bookstores, too. I'm trying to get people to, to buy local and support local businesses. So if that's an option for you, please do that. Um, I worked for so long at the Wall Street Journal as well as the New York Times, and you can find lots of my stories um, online and, and those newspaper archives as well. The Spy Master of Baghdad. How special was that to get a box of books in the mail, your very first ones, to hold that and to smell it? It was great. It was what a great feeling. I mean, look, the um, COVID, my life during COVID, thankfully, um, all my family were all safe and healthy. But um, the book was actually due out um, in, in stores last summer. So my, my COVID memories are more about the book delay. It's great to see it finally um, see the world and, and, um, and um, anxious to see what readers think about it. Do you have any plans to travel back there in the future? I would as soon as this pandemic is over. Um, I did. We did manage to to send books um, to Baghdad. So um, I talked to the spy master just uh, last week, and uh, he received his book. So we had a, a, a um, an interesting, you know, warm um, re uh, reunion of sorts, as, oh. as we all do, sort of socially distant. But yeah, I, I need to get back to Baghdad soon so I can I can sign those books for them. <laughs> sign the book. How much does it cost to ship a book to Iraq? By the way. Um, it's not cheap, but that's okay. They have for all of the meals um, that that uh, they fed me, and all the ways that they helped keep me safe during during my journeys there. Um, they they deserve it and more. How do you even send that? Is it the postal service? You have to do UPS. Is there a special thing I don't oh, know about? Yeah, yeah, UPS, FedEx. Um, yeah, you got to go with the big boys. Do they question you? They say, okay, why is this uh, being shipped over to Iraq? Uh, No, not at all. In fact, you know, there's this great Arab proverb, you know, again, as I said, you know, the cradle of civilization and ancient, ancient Babylon, um, you know, Iraqis have always been known um, in the Arab speaking world as avid readers. And, and so, you know, even today, like through the worst of the bloodshed after 2003, and even today, there's an amazing booksellers market um, in downtown Baghdad, in ancient old Baghdad. And so you can walk for about three quarters of a mile and have just hundreds of, of small booksellers there. Um, and and so it's something that um, Iraqis do on the weekend. They go and they browse, they buy books, they go to tea houses, they talk about literature. And so, no, sending books to Baghdad is one of the easier things to send to Iraq. <laughs> so I guess they don't get Amazon Prime there. 
They don't. Not yeah, yet. Not yet. Well, it's soon. Well, I, I wanted to know, too, um, that you you want to go back and you want to be able to visit this. What's the unfinished business, the things that if you were to do a follow-up to this or maybe add another chapter after the fact, just hypothetically, what's the unfinished business to the spy master of Baghdad that you're still trying to figure out? Well, um, you know, the the... Now, because of the Islamic State, I mean, it's it, you know, it's basically as you know, it's a terrorist organization. It's it's been decimated and almost um, certainly destroyed. I mean, there's still a, a threat of extremism, and you know, Islamic extremists will probably reemerge in another form. But with the actual Islamic State now destroyed, um, I you know, the 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 Falcons, the the characters in my story. Because some of them have moved on to new specialties and new jobs. And so, uh, you know, there's lots of other domestic terror threats mm. that, that um, Iraq is facing right now. And one of those is organized crime. Mm. Um, and one of my characters, the younger brother of the book, Munaf al-Qudani, has become an expert in fighting organized crime in Baghdad. So it would be, um, if we can uh, sell the film rights to Spymaster, the, the sequel would be, um, would be the organized crime unit that he, he now heads up. Yeah, so what happens after you're a member of the Falcons? You kind of stay in the, uh, like a similar business? Because when I think about the veterans that have served back in, you know, after 9-11, I had some friends that served and they come back and, you know, some become cops, some become plumbers. So what, what does normal yeah. life look like after you're done fighting ISIS if you're someone that lives in Iraq? Yeah, I, I think there's there's um, basically you know that that holds true there. I mean, some some people um, you know signed up to defend the country in 2014 when the Islamic State was such a threat, and they were they, you know they signed up for a very you know a limited duration, and they went back to their normal lives, you know, yeah. running their family shops or plumbers, um, as you said, and you know the Falcons are in it for life. You know, they they. Um, and and lots of them, you know, there's just there's so much intelligence work to be done. Uh, you can turn your skills though on more domestic concerns rather than international terrorism. Um, it's a unfortunately um, a uh, it's a vibrant business mm. um, keeping the nation safe over there. The Spy Master of Baghdad, a true story of bravery, family, and patriotism in the battle against ISIS. Margaret Coker, again, if people wanted to look up your book online, where can they look? Well, go to my author site, margaretcoker.com, or thespymasterofbaghdad.com. You can um, learn more about me, you can learn more about the characters, and you can, find, um, you can find places to shop for the book. But basically, I think you can find it in most, most of the major bookstores, um, from Barnes & Noble to Target, um, and also your indie bookstores um, um, locally where you live. Yeah, we have some fantastic bookstores here in St. Louis. The Spy Master of Baghdad and Margaret Coker. Thank you so much for spending time with us tonight on KMOX. Well, I appreciate the time. Um, I hope people like the book. And she joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. This is Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. I am shocked that the Cardinal song, We Can Do It, is not liked by producer Mike. It just blows my mind because I think this is one of the greatest Cardinal songs. We can do it. We can win it all. We can do it. Watch them curve the ball. We can light up your day and thrill you at night. Put a smile on your face and make 
It's so good. It is so good. And with the Cardinals on their way back onto KMOX, I think we're all pretty excited to see the spring training starting up this weekend. Arnado was on with Tom Ackerman earlier. If you haven't seen that on the KMOX Facebook page, you should probably go get it. I haven't actually watched it myself, but today's the, uh, he does the garage happy hour. And I think he was on sports open line yesterday. And wow, I think they're going to replay some of it. What great access. And you've got this big stud that makes his way to the Cardinals. Everyone's excited to see what he can do. And I think everyone's excited to see what the Cardinals could be doing this year. So we got Sunday, uh, very first game against the nationals and then against the Marlins on Tuesday, that one is streamed. And then Wednesday on camo X during the day against the Mets Thursday, Friday, Sunday of next week, all on camo X, all great games. Some of those are kind of early ones, five o'clock start times, roughly pregame a little bit before five o'clock on Thursday and Friday of next week on KMOX and then a noon game on Wednesday. It'll just feel good to get it back into the swing of things. I am just so excited. Oh, yesterday, Arnado was on the Cardinals countdown opening day show. That's awesome. I, I love that he's willing to do that. And I also think it's so great that he wants to connect to the community. And of course, KMOX is the way to do it. Kevin Klein has another great whole nother story. Let's play this real quick because I can relate. I was lying on the couch watching World War II in color. When a political fanatic hijacked a civilized nation. It was very relaxing. The world is taken by surprise. When my wife came in and said, hey, you need to get after those mice, the ones leaving the droppings in the spice drawer. Well, wait a minute, honey. The wave of Nazi bombs. No, you have to realize, she said, mice can have babies every two weeks. We'll be taken over. In just two hours, the Japanese cripple the American Pacific. So I went to the hardware store and down to the rodent section where there was armaments arrayed on the shelf to do away with mice. It made me feel sorry for them, really. They're just little guys with black beady eyes. And what's waiting to get them are the mouse traps, the glue traps, the poison pellets, and more. I got eight of the mouse traps and two poison mice hotels for the journey of no return. I came home from the hardware store and showed it all to my wife, the same way I'd show her candy or flowers on Valentine's Day. She seemed mildly impressed, like a teacher whose student was turning in a paper three weeks late. I put some peanut butter on the mouse traps and hid them all over, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, downstairs, upstairs, and I put two poison motels out. Wait till they check into those. Now it was time to get back to my show, World War II in Color. We'll win. There was a decisive naval battle in the Pacific Midway, and then the landing on the beaches of Normandy. The direction of the war was changing. Hitler loses the Battle of Stalingrad. This allows Russian troops to start moving west toward Germany, just as the Americans, British, and Canadians are moving east. I haven't finished the series yet. I, I still have some time to go. We, we've killed three mice, though, two by trap and one by the Poison Motel. The poison one wandered out of the motel, and he was mincing around the kitchen in small sidesteps like a dancer when he finally keeled over, and we gave him a burial at sea. Utter. Oh. Devastation. 
There will be other battles as the Allies press toward Berlin, but the outcome of the war at this point, it's inevitable. With a whole other story, I'm Kevin Colleen. War against the mice in the house. Kevin Colleen, great sound effects on that one. Well worth his time to get the World War II documentary sounds in there. I can totally relate to that. I'm always on the lookout. Luckily, we don't really have those problems in our house, and I'm hoping that never changes. Whenever I uh, pop open the old security system and take a look at our front doorbell to see if there's been any funny business going down, I see these cats that walk by the property all the time, mostly at night. I don't know why, but they have this special path. They walk across like the special pavement that goes around the landscaping. And as they do that, I don't know if they're just patrolling around and looking for mice and things because we get pretty lucky. Go ahead. Let's take care of it. And it doesn't smell like they've been using the bathroom out there, which is a good sign. Some people have that issue with stray cats all over their property. But way to go, Kevin Colleen. Good uh, for him. I wanted to bring this up real quick because on Sunday, Donald Trump is going to be speaking at CPAC. He's going to be the big headliner. What exactly is he going to announce? It's anyone's guess. Some people wonder if he's going to hint towards coming back in 2024. I really hope that's not the case. I hope he doesn't start opening up the political window yet again. I hope he doesn't say that he's going to file to run for president in 2024. I just don't want to see this stretched out this early. We just got through uh, a political season, and we know that our politics, our thirst, our hunger for it is nonstop. We're looking at it as if it's uh, we're lost in the desert, and there it is, the mirage that we need more of it, and it is just a mirage. That's all it is. So CPAC is in Orlando, Florida, and I think of the big names that are there, it doesn't get any bigger than the former president of the United States, and with his speech on Sunday, he could announce, uh, I don't know, vengeance against people that are looked at as his enemies. One of the biggest traps I think Republicans have gotten into is they make an enemy out of anyone quickly and they eat their own. And for the longest time, how many times have you heard strategists every single year say the exact same thing? Republicans uh, do it to themselves. And Rush Limbaugh was great at pointing this out. If you've ever listened to his program over the years. The Democrats had it together when it came to uniting on the same front. For some reason, they could do that sort of thing. They didn't have this sort of, um, you know, I got to be right syndrome. Even when it came to a Bernie Sanders, super socialist ideas, he's someone that was stabbed in the back how many times by the Democratic Party, and he still goes back for more and is supportive of them. That doesn't happen in the Republican Party. If they do that to you, you branch off and you let it be known. You don't play that game. This is what I think would be the best case scenario for Donald Trump and the Republicans. I would put a warning out. I would go out there and say, it's time for you to have a backbone for yourself. When I was president for four years, I stood up against fill in the blank. You know, I stood up against the progressive war. I stood up against um, China. I stood up against North Korea and Iran. Uh, I stood for you. I did all of these things, all things that we've never seen Republicans do in the past. I didn't start a new war and start bombing like crazy, which, by the way, Joe Biden has done that. Uh, we're going to have to talk about that next hour. And for all of the uh, things and people that yelled and screamed that hated Donald Trump to say he's going to start a new war and he's got his finger on the button and he's going to do this and he's blah, blah, blah. He's going to do that. We're not even uh, well, just over a month in, not even 100 days as he's trying to plot everything out into the presidency and what's happened so far. 
He's liked to go out there and point out a lot of things. And he's always put his finger on this. We're going to start pushing the button for the bombs. And it starts tonight. Do you think the same people that were worried Donald Trump would start a new war are going to go out and yell and scream at their own party? No, because, you know, they don't eat their own. And this is something that's been a problem with Republicans. We've gone out there and, and one person says one thing you dislike and you want to shun them. Look at Fox News's ratings, for example. One commentator, one person says something and, oh, I'm going blah, 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 fill in the blank. That's a dangerous thing. That's a dangerous road. You become fractured. And that's exactly what the Democrats want to happen to the Republican Party. And it's another strategy that seems to be winning for them. Too many opinions, too many strong opinions and people wanting to stand up. But maybe uh, Donald Trump could bring it back together. Who knows? All right. Another hour of Overnight America coming up right after the break on KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. The clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. 